Blake Range. You can't put it in the lead column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway. It is Tuesday, February 13th. Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wes Gilbertson will join in a little bit later on. Ray Edwards, Flames Director of Player Development, is uh, slated to join us. And the second half of this hour is we welcome you to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. But boy, do we have a lot to talk about. There is a lot swirling and uh, I used the term on Monday hornet's nest of speculation and that's what it feels like surrounding the flames right now and we're just going to stoke it, uh, which is what we do. And uh, now we bring in our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, with a lot to get into. Jacob Markstrom, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, and more. Frank Saravalli brought to you by Self Trail Chrysler, where they always make the buying process simple. Look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit selftrailchrysler.com. And Frank joins us now. Hello, Mr. Saravalli. How are we? I'm good. You said hornet's nest, and I'm like, that makes it sound like we're, you know, the flames are, I don't know. It makes it sound slightly negative. I think the flames are in the best position possible. Agreed. I don't think anyone's in a better position. I, I just like the term hornet's nest. I don't know why I like oh, okay. that. It's, uh, it, it, it gives a it good visual. defensive. No, not at all. I mean, look, I, I think the flames are in a spot right now where um, they, they've got a great opportunity to put themselves in a much better spot. Wes and I talked about this last hour. I think that they have set a target for the fall of 2027. I think there is a real end date just coincides with a new arena which uh, coincidentally but you know what i i don't think that that's a bad target to have you're there's a there's 1.2 billion dollars going into this structure um and to be competitive and to have people wanting to be in this gorgeous new facility right from the get-go because your team is good it makes good business sense and that's a that's a three and a half year timeline right I would say beyond the start date and end date, whatever you want to tag it on. I don't know that any of that, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because you always need goals to, to focus on and fixate on. To me, the real key here is, is one, they've identified that there's a sustainable way to build this team for the long haul. Two, they're not doing what, the previous regime did, which is kind of a makeshift, uh, you know, you know, fix it job every now and again, which isn't really a path to sustainable success. Three, they've, the market is on board and understands that changes are needed. And four, in the meantime, you've got a GM who seems intent with his front office staff on stacking incremental wins on top of each other that hopefully will result in getting this team where it needs to be. And I think when you take all those things and you really consider the 30,000 foot view, people have been asking me left and right, you know, the flames, their hot trip out East. Does that change the view? Like, no, you can't, you can't be swayed by one 10 day period in time. If you're thinking about the next 10 years. 
Agreed. And, and I think that's another really important part is that they've, I, I, to your point, you know, the, the whole old term intellectually honest, I think that they know what they are. And then Craig Conroy knows what they are and now knows what he has to do to get them to where they want to be, which brings us to um, the biggest story of the last four or five days. And that is Jacob Markstrom. Frank, how, how close to being a New Jersey devil was Jacob Markstrom at some point last week? As close as one could get without actually changing jerseys. My understanding and sources indicate that the the Calgary Flames and New Jersey Devils had agreed to a deal in principle, and Jacob Markstrom had agreed to waive his no trade. I don't know if a formal paper was put in front of him for him to put signature to, but he was in agreement and willing to go. And at some point just before getting it across the finish line, this deal was scuttled and I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know who did it, but I can tell you that the two sides had gone as far down the path as you possibly can before executing a trade without actually doing it. So, and and without knowing what scuttled it, and and without knowing why it didn't get past the finish line, what's your read or gut on whether or not this could be revisited? Probably pretty small because I do think there was some factor of salary retention involved, and I don't know if that's what crushed it or not. I think the Flames, to my knowledge, have the green light to use their salary retention positions if they'd like to. But I I don't think New Jersey is in a position where they can take Jacob Markstrom at full boat or would want to, more to the point. Um, And so I don't know. Can something change? I mean, it can always... Look, people that were once married get divorced, they get married again. Mm -hmm. So anything can happen. Uh, as, as odd as that sounds, I do think that there was a certain level of frustration on New Jersey's end and probably understandably so uh, that this didn't get completed. I think they probably were sitting back thinking that they had solved one of their big issues and woes this year. And then also not just for this year, but had gotten some stability in the crease. And you hear players like Jack Hughes after last night's game, like, basically chirping their goalies, if not intentionally saying it's easy to win when you get saves. Like that's, you know, that that's a situation that bears watching and needs fixing. I just don't know that it's going to come from Calgary's end. Um, what does this tell you? The, the fact that they got as far down the road as they did, the fact that by all accounts, Jacob Markstrom signed off on, on waving the no move and, and going to New Jersey, what does this tell you about team's mindset and player's mindset, Frank? Um, I think it tells me that Markstrom is a competitor, that he understands. Look at the timeline you just laid out for us, 2027. He understands that this is he's probably not going to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup over the, you know, the term remaining on his deal. I think he's been a good soldier and a dialed in player in the sense that he's you know he's shown up and competed every night this season and is I think the Flames sort of unquestioned MVP if that counts for anything 
And, and I think more than that, he's really told me a lot about his makeup based on the way last year played out. Like, you know, there was a real chance that coming off of last season that we never saw, I think at least, that we would never see Jacob Markstrom get back to a high high level in the NHL based on that. Like, you can go one of two ways. You can mm-hmm. sulk, you can roll over or and, and collect your paycheck, or you can double down and, and get back to work. And clearly that's what he did. So that part has been impressive and full marks to him. What does it say about team mindset? I would say this is a Calgary Flames front office that's willing to consider just about anything. I think it's one that realizes that they need to clear the goaltending logjam one way or the other, whether it's now or in the summer. And I think they also want to put their people in the best position to succeed. And Jacob Markstrom hasn't come to the Flames and said he wants out, but I think they understand what's going on here and they also want to extract value. So I don't think they were going to do it unless they were getting some real value back. And my understanding is they were. Eddie, do it. And do we have any idea what that package looks like? What, what the flames might've been getting or that, that no. stuff. Okay. No, we don't know where that is. I mean, not, uh, not with any clarity that I'd be willing to share. Right. Right. Absolutely. Which I respect. Um, okay. So that's, that's where things sit on the Jacob Markstrom front. And, and I guess the last question I, I would have is, 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 is this something that the flames revisit in the summer? Not even just with New Jersey. It feels like New Jersey in the right now is the most, and has always been the most realistic team to maybe do something in season. Like I, it, it's my understanding. They've been hot and heavy on this guy going all the way back to like November. They've been trying to get something done Okay, so maybe it doesn't get done, but could Markstrom find himself elsewhere this summer, as you just said, as the Flames are are committed to potentially clearing this goaltending logjam? Yeah, I, I think so. And and look, um, I, I think what you're looking at here is the the game of goaltending musical chairs spins every summer. Um, you're you're talking about thirty goalies that are typically on the move in any given summer. It's half the league. And that part, I think, opens up the door. I think Markstrom's play certainly will give him opportunities. And if you're really thinking big picture and you're thinking Dustin Wolf and getting his feet wet in the NHL as a full-time guy next season is your priority, which it should be, then really what you want, aside from maybe having someone like Markstrom mentor him, he's clearly, as I just mentioned, a competitor and wants to play. Maybe the better situation is to have someone like Dan Vladar with him that you can go 1A, 1B type scenario. There's no sort of guaranteed starter based on pay. The door is sort of wide open for Wolf to come in and make it his own if he can take the ball and run with it. And if not, that way you're also not really selling low on Vladar who really has just been okay, mm-hmm. if not south of that. 
It's Frank Saravalli. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us on Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. Uh, up at Daily Faceoff, uh, I believe the, uh, the 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 top story, the splash story on Daily Faceoff right now. Big picture of Noah Hannafin as your deep dive on Noah Hannafin's trade value and what teams would be getting if indeed he gets moved is the top story on Daily Faceoff today. And and Frank, the longer this goes on. The, the the more and more it feels like this is moving towards uh, a likely trade, doesn't it? I think so. And no one has definitively said to me that would have direct knowledge of the situation that Noah Hannafin's not re-signing. But I think we can all read between the lines 27 days, whatever it is, before the deadline mm-hmm. that – He's had this offer on the table since October. I don't know if it's still on the table. I don't, I think that's probably academic at this point, but the fact that he hasn't put pen to paper and especially after what he admitted last week was an important reflection point, being back in Boston, being around family, all-star week, all-star weekend, bye week, all that going on. His mind has to be made up. There's no hemming and hawing at this point, and all signs would point to and indicate that Noah Hannafin will be on the move. And going back to what we just said at the beginning of our conversation, that leaves the Flames in such an enviable position. This is a thin market to begin with, but now you've got not just one, but the top two premier rental defensemen that are available before March 8th. That's a great spot to be in for a team that's already crushed it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. with the first three trades that they've made from their pending UFA class. What is, um, from your understanding, and I know that we're you know still, what, three and a half weeks-ish until the trade deadline, but what, what does the market look like right now specifically on Hannafin um, if, if this ramps up to a trade? That's the harder part to really determine. Um, they, I, it's a really tough dance, I think with Hannafin, like Tanev is in a different spot, right? Like Tanev, unless you are the Ottawa senators and you're all horned up to get Tanev in for the next number of years, I don't know that, that, that many teams, maybe you could include Toronto that are all excited to really, sign up with term for Tanev and that's not a knock against him. It's more just so a reality of age and durability and, and all those things that come with it. Um, Hannafin's a totally different subject. He is, you know, by all accounts, you know, certainly not just worthy of an eight year deal, but very likely to get one uh, provided that he obviously signs before the summer. Everyone sees him as a guy that can, readily play another 650 games in the NHL easily. So that part of it, plus the asset acquisition cost, it it makes it a transaction that if you're giving up a lot to get him, you damn well better have a good idea that you're going to be able to sign him. So that's part of it. And, um, you know, I think what they're looking at is really a – a somewhat limited market in a way. It's not just, do you have the ability to re-sign him? There's a lot of teams that are in the mix for that, I would think. Mm-hmm. 
but it's it's also um do you have the assets to give the Calgary Flames to get him and as much as a team like well just just hypothetically Tampa in need of defense they might want him but they don't have the the picks to be or, or prospects to be able to go after him and I think there's a number of teams that are in that position where they'd really want to try and get him and they can't. Right. Any, any compare, like the, the uh, daily face off, the, the comparable that jumped off the page most to you in terms of a potential return was Hampus Lindholm a couple of years ago with the Boston Bruins when he went from Anaheim to Boston. That, that, that's kind of the number one comparable from the research you've done. Hundred percent. I think it, it it's the perfect comp for a million reasons. One, they're the same age. They're both left shot D. They're both of pretty equal, um, you know, stature and ability. They're actually really close stylistic fits. They're close production wise. Uh, they're probably uh, with the market adjustments and the cap going up. Um, probably pretty close contract comparables. And when you look at the deal that Anaheim got, it's, it ends up being pretty solid, um, a really strong return. And part of that is because of what I just said, Boston was intent right then on signing Hampus Lindholm and he comes in and he delivers with, you know, his best season of his career he finishes fourth in Norris Trophy voting, and the Bruins have their best, the best season, regular season in, in NHL history in points and wins. So it's it's worked out quite well for both sides. Um, but what I would say is, if, and this is a big if because I I don't have a one hundred percent complete view of what the market looks like. Mm-hmm. But if the market is somewhat limited for the Flames on Hannafin, there's a few other recent left shot defenseman pending UFAs that were traded and Gavrikov last year going from Columbus to LA is, is another example. They got a first and a third. The third was for Corpus Allo, who also came over in the deal, but you know, a sort of, you know, first round pick is the starting point for me. I think Lind, I think uh, Hannafin is to me a way more impactful piece than Gavrikov. So I think what your your starting point, the sort of bar for the Flames, is something like a first round pick plus a grade A prospect. Mm-hmm. But I, I I think they're well within their rights and should be uh, and probably would be targeting that Hampus Lindholm return because it okay. just it makes too much sense. Uh, last thought. It's, it's funny. One week ago, you and I talked about Chris Tanev, and and since that time, I, I texted you on Thursday during the Devils game about, geez, down the tunnel twice went went Chris Tanev had another big time scare at oh. Madison Square Garden on Monday. Um, still kind of Twitter, that. I mean, Twitter still goes a, a, like a flutter when that happens, and understandably so. But you could probably imagine what. Flames management is feeling at the time too. No doubt, Craig Conroy was on this trip. He won, like his heart must have stopped a few times, and, and yet he played all four games out of the All Star break on this uh, on this road trip. Kind of just status. Does quo. that give us another you know view into their mindset? Like that's one thing I really really like about what the Flames are embarking on. First off, you can't 
um, you can't really bottom out. Like you can't go down to the studs with some of the players that you have signed. And I don't think you need to, because further to that, I don't think there's really any tangible proof that any team that's actually truly burn it down and built through the lottery purposely has ever made it back to the other side and really won anything. But I love that they're like, you know, we're not, there's no point here in which we're going to encourage losing and tanking. So the fact that they're like, Hey, we don't have anything for Tanev. He's going to keep playing. Like, I think there's a certain um, courage that goes with that, that not every front office and team has, you know, in their stomach to do. Yeah. Um, before we, uh, before we wrap up, the flames are obviously the epicenter of trade talk in the NHL right now. Is there anything like anything else percolating right now? Is there anything else that's like, Oh, we got a, on, on top of Hannafin and Tanev and Markstrom. I also got to keep my eyes on this one. Is there, is there anything else that you're watching right now intently? I mean, nothing really quite as front burner as what Calgary is up to. Cause we also know that they're pretty active, you know, behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I still like th- there's a, a small circle of teams that you know are going to do something, and it's a matter of when and who. Colorado's in that category, Edmonton. Um, you know, I would say to a lesser degree, Boston and Florida. The Lightning are certainly going to be in that spot where they're probably going to make a small addition. And then you've got a, a few teams sort of on the fringes. Uh, of the playoffs right now, New Jersey being one, Toronto's in a slightly better spot, but now embarking on a five-game stint without Morgan Riley that could define their season. Those are all teams that have been active, and certainly I expect to be over the next 27 days. Okay. And uh, finally, uh, we got the news uh, just before you came on live. Uh, Morgan Riley, five-game suspension from the NHL after uh, his cross-check to Ottawa's Ridley Gregg on Saturday. And we know the slap shot into the empty net, and we know the uh, giant uh, conversation has uh, has ensued since. Just uh, your reaction to the five-game suspension and just your overall reaction to the the debate that has raged since. I've seen a lot of people on social media belly aching that they're tired of hearing about it. I mean, we keep talking about it because there's such mixed opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And I've been advocating. uh, First off, I love the slap shot. I'm not saying you can do it and not expect something to happen to you, but someone was saying yesterday, make hockey violent again. Like, I don't know that we need to, that might be a bridge too far for me, but make hockey spicy again. Like as you know, growing up in, in the nineties, like, I, I mean, that to me, there was something every week that Matthew Barnaby was doing that like you just loved and not saying Ridley Gregg's going to be that cause he's not, but you couldn't turn around without something crazy happening. And it made the league so much better off. Like there's a reason why people love WWE even though it's contrived, it there's drama and there's different stuff happening. There's heels and there's all sorts of stuff. Hockey needs villains. They need more people like that. And I, I don't, I think we'd be having a totally different discussion today. If Morgan Riley didn't respond on behalf of the Leafs, his mistake was using his stick. And that's, 
why he's paying the five-game price, which I thought was we ripped the Department of Player Safety all the time. I think they absolutely nailed this one. I think when you consider the suspension to Perron with a similar dis- disciplinary history for six games, you know, he went and attacked the wrong guy. Morgan Riley, same result, same cross-check, same everything. And he got the right guy, and he did it clearly as an act of retribution for the slap shot empty netter. I'm here for all of it. And I also think these things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Uh, the the Flames Insight must hear, as always. Uh, we'll do it again on Tuesday. We'll hear you with more on Friday morning with the Big Show boys as well. Thank you, Frank, as always, man. That was awesome. Have a good night, Pat. Frank Saravalli is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he joins us, as always, brought to you by our friends at South Trail Chrysler, where they always make the buying process simple. Look for the big Canadian flag at 130th Ave or visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local, find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It's Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson along with you as we go inside hockey and looking forward. It's always great when we chat with our next guest. Uh, Ray Edwards is the Flames Director of Player Development and you know, it's it's been the underlying story of the season. There's been a lot of noise kind of on the surface, the, the real obvious stuff with the Flames. But when Craig Conroy took over in May, one of the first things he said is, we're going to get younger. And that has been realized all throughout the first 53 games of the season, whether it's Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil becoming full-time NHLers or the numerous other players that have made NHL debuts and contributed on the Flames this year. It's happened, and it doesn't happen without a development team getting these guys ready for the highest level, and that's all led by Ray Edwards. Uh, as uh, I wanted to shed a little light, and Wes and I wanted to talk a little bit more about the process that gets these players ready for the NHL as Ray joins us right now inside hockey. Ray, good to catch up with you, my friend. I didn't even know you were in Calgary, so uh, welcome to this time zone as well. How are we doing? Good. I'm just sneaking under the radar here, Pat. Nice to be with you guys. It's uh, how, uh, how are things? How, what's, uh, what's going on? It's busy. It's busy. We, uh, yeah, lots going on. We actually, it was a really good day today. We were able to have a development uh, meeting in person, which is always nice. Typically, we do our weekly meeting via Zoom, and uh, today it was great because we get to sit in the same office, and and it's, when you do that, it typically goes longer, which it did today. So, but it was really good to see everybody face to face, and you know, it's a, obviously a busy time for us, and lots of uh, preparation for you know summer, different summer things that we have to do, and and it's really good to, to sit face to face just to go over the prospects, and as you guys know, we've added a couple to the cupboard, so yeah, one to get. To, 
yeah, I wanted to get in touch with everybody about those guys today as well. Well, and and as I said off the top, Ray, it's it's been that type of year for your development group. You know, you've seen so many players make NHL debuts and, and so many young players in this organization. A lot of them drafted players uh, get an opportunity to make an impact in the NHL and, and more than we've seen in, in quite some time from like for you as the director and, and for your entire group, is, is that something that your group takes a lot of pride in? Is that something that you, you uh, kind of put as a, as a feather in your cap as, as this continues? Well, it's certainly exciting, uh, you know, as you guys know, you know, because we've, you know, we, we've known each other for a long time. You guys know sort of what goes into it and the process that it is. And, and um, these kids put a lot of work in. And to do that, they need, they need some resources. And, and we've been very fortunate uh, to have the resources available to us. You know, Brad Pascal and obviously Don and Connie and, and Dave give us these resources and you know, we've been able to add some pretty significant people in the last few years, which is which has really helped this process. So, you know, give those guys a ton of credit because they're you know they're the ones you know on the ground and they're they're here. A lot, most of these people are here, and so they do a lot of the work. And um, you know, I think we've got a great staff, and it's been great to be able to put this group together. And I know our young kids, not not just. Uh, you know, the kids that are prospects that are playing junior or college over in Europe, but as well as the American League guys. So it's it's a great staff, lucky to have them, and, and uh, they're great to work with. Can you give us, uh, Ray, a bit of a snapshot in terms of – I know it's different for every player, and, and you know, each each development, uh, each member of the team has, has their own group of players that they work with. But can, can you give us a little bit of a snapshot as to – what goes in over the course of a season to getting guys ready to play in the NHL? And, you know, some of the things that your group is doing to prepare certain players if and when that call comes to be ready to take advantage of it. Well, go back to the draft. You know, as soon as we draft these kids, uh, the first thing we do is, you know, you, the, you know, be trying to get an understanding of the game that they have and the areas of focus that need to be, um, you know, focused on. So a, a lot of the work early is, is, you know, getting on the computer and watching video, talking to our scouts to get an understanding from them. They do all the work ahead of time, right? And, and, and kudos to Todd and his staff. The first thing we got to do is get an understanding of what we're dealing with and, and what we've got to work with. So, so that's the first thing. And then, you know, uh, we all sit together and, and, you know, different, different people on the staff have different responsibilities. But the first thing we, we do is establish a development plan for them. And we typically do two of those pot a year. One, one is an off season plan and one's an in season plan. So, so a lot of work goes into those and those are shared with the players. And the biggest part of those plans are, you know, sort of the area of focus that we see that needs improvement. But the bigger part of that is the action plan and how we're going to help them do that. And that's where, you know, you've, you've got your group that has different, different assets and different strengths and you got to trust them to do their work and you know I try to oversee it but really they're doing the they're doing the heavy lifting right so whether that's Danielle on the skating side or Stoney who works with the defense or Jelly who who does a lot of the the stuff uh, in terms of our our top prospects and you know Darren Romerdahl handles a lot of the skills and administrative stuff um, and uh, you know Zach McLean's not our new our new uh, strength and conditioning guy that you know, Ricky and his staff have hired, and, and that's been a huge asset to us this year to have have our own guy in that that department. 
um, certainly taken a burden off of the the other strength and conditioning people. Um, you know, obviously Rebecca Johnson's awesome add to the staff, and she does a lot of video work for us, which is really good. And she's become a really good assessor of talent, and she's helped me a lot in terms of just you know I can't I just can't get out and watch everybody. So she really helps me in terms of keeping up to speed on on these kids and how they're playing. Uh, and obviously Matt Brown too is a big part of that. So we've got a we've got a good good-sized staff, and they all know their responsibilities, and they all do them very well. Ray, when and, and Wes, is, Wes has got some uh, real interesting roads to take you down as well, but when Not Craig... Sure. <laughs> always with Wes, right? <laughs> the roads are always interesting. Um, Don't make him nervous. <laughs> I, already, I already did earlier. Um, yeah, he's not expat, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when Craig when Craig takes over as GM and and says we want to get younger is is there is there like a is there a message or or a shift in terms of what your group does like did did, did your group do anything different going into this season or or start doing things differently this year because there was a real set mandate to start getting younger here over the next number of months and years. I don't know, guys, that we did anything necessarily different. I mean, we adding Zach on the strength and conditioning side, I thought was a huge add. And again, thanks to the the, the management group for allowing us to do that. It, it was it's really hard when you don't have somebody like that. That piece, guys, is so important. And and during the season, it's it's you know you're not doing the heavy lifting during the season. But you have to stay on top of these guys, and you have to have someone communicating with their with their strength people and and know the language. Like I can call their strength people all day long, and I I have a basic knowledge of it. But we need people that are are have strengths in those areas, and, and having Zach is, is a big part of that. So, and thanks to Ricky and his group for for being able to to find him and 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 put him in that position. So so that's one area I think. I think what it did was it just got our juices flowing, if that makes sense. Like, you know, when, when, when Craig said that, obviously it's, it, it puts a little bit of onus on us and not, not pressure guys, but it gets you excited. So now we're like, okay, we, we got to have these guys ready. And, you know, I have to give shout out to, to uh, Trent and his group because it's the same for them. Like they've done an outstanding job preparing some of these guys and we work hand in hand, obviously. And, you know, I've been here for the week and it's just, it's great to be in that office down there. And Brad Pascal sets the tone there in terms of how that, that ship is run and the organize the organization they have. And, and Brad obviously is, it's, you know, development first, right? So, and those guys are on board and, and having that mindset and that attitude, you know, when Craig when Craig says that, it's okay. We but we got to be ready. We got to make sure that we're prepared. We got to make sure they're prepared. Um, every facet has to be dealt with in terms of whether it's skill or skating or strength or mental. And and uh, so we we got to be on our game. And that that puts the onus on us to to get the job done. And and uh, it makes it certainly makes it exciting. Ray, you mentioned adding a couple guys recently to the cupboards, and and I'm I'm really curious, just sort of what happens next and and so just for the sake of ease I want to boil it down to one guy and it's it's no knock on Yoni Yermo who I, I know arrives in that same trade but let's talk about Hunter Brustavich when you find out that you've acquired this young man from the Vancouver Canucks what happens in terms of the development onboarding who do you call who do you talk to 
What do you do to get him into the Calgary Flames system and come up for like come up with a plan for what happens next? Well, it's interesting. Like the you know the night of the trade, the first the first call I got was from Brad Pascal, and he let me know what was going on. So the the, first, the as soon as I got off the phone with him, uh, I was on Flames Vision watching video. Okay. What are, what are we getting? What type of player it is? And, and Brad gives you an understanding of what it is. But the you know all, all of our scout reports are on there. So the first thing I've got to do is get an understanding of what our scouts think of this player and who's seen them. And you know uh, you, you try to reach out and and get their thoughts and their opinions, uh, and then watch watch you know watch their games and get an understanding of what you're dealing with. That that really happened I would say within minutes of the trade being done, and then obviously. You know, getting, you know, my responsibility at that point is to contact Hunter and his coach. I actually had a good conversation with his coach a few days ago. Uh, had a couple of different conversations with Hunter. The, the, the tough thing right now, guys, is, is a lot of these guys are in playoff pushes. So the one thing we got to be real careful of now is giving them, you know, too much information, right? So, and we have, you know, we can be guilty of getting too excited and, and, and trying to get everybody you know, ramped up and onboarded really quickly. But with Hunter, I, you know, I wanted to introduce ourselves, obviously, watch some stuff, get an understanding of what his game is. I've been able to watch a handful of games. We've had a couple of good conversations, had a really good chat with his coach. Um, you know, Mike Stone's now involved there in terms of watching games and getting an understanding of what his game is. And eventually, Stoney will, will do way more there. Um, and then the next piece is, you know, our strength and conditioning side with Zach. Uh, reaching out to their strength and get conditioning coach to get an understanding from him what his areas of focuses have been for him, and then how can we assist in the short term at least? Um, what's he doing before you know before practice, after practice? What what uh, what areas is he really focusing on? And then you know you know Zach's tried to get some testing results, for example, to get understanding of of what what his strengths and weaknesses are there. So. That's the first piece. And then obviously Danielle is, is, is we're working her in. And again, you know, do we have Danielle get in there now, uh, right in the middle of the playoff push? It's, it's kind of, it, it will depend totally on Hunter's schedule. If it works that we can get her in to, to get an assessment. I think it's really important for her to get some time before the summer so that she can get an out, uh, understanding of where we've got to, what areas we got to hit. Like it, it doesn't make sense to waste time in the summer because in the summer with skating, guys, as you know, you don't have a ton of time, and that is really where you make gains. So I want to make sure that she's up and ready to go so that when Hunter's ready to, to roll in the summertime that she can get going. So that's, that's a lot of it. Obviously, um, you know, um, all of our staff are involved, but each, each person has their own area to, to focus on. And so we're in the process of doing that for both him and Yanni right now. Now, uh, now that you've seen a, a few games and chatted with him a couple times, what what appeals to you about the player? What what's made Hunter a guy who, I believe, still is leading the OHL in assists by a country mile? What what parts of the skill set really jump there? Well, obviously, the first thing that steps out is just his poise, calmness, ability to make plays, deception. You know the way he runs the power play. Uh, he can look off people. He can make. You know, he can beat the first four checker, you know, with his skill, with his, with his feet, those types of things. Um, you know, he, he obviously is, is uh, having a successful year offensively in terms of points and production. Um, so, so the poise, the, the ability to make plays, he passed the first wave of, of four check, 
Um, he's so calm with the puck. Uh, really good stick defensively. Um, like he, he's smart. He he reads the play very well. Um, you know, high hockey IQ for sure are the things that stand out initially. Let me ask you about another, uh, I guess, recent transaction, and that's a two-year contract extension for Martin Pospisil. Here's a guy who really jumps out to me as one of the success stories for the Flames development staff. You know, I, I know part of that was sort of rounding a player who uh, liked to spend a little bit of time in, in the penalty box, and that might not sound totally unfamiliar for you from your own playing career. What what steps went into getting Martin to the point he's at now that he's really been a, a huge a, a huge success story for the Flames this season? Yeah, it's a great question because as you guys know, like Marty's had a tough, you know, sort of three or four year go in the American League. And and again, you gotta give up all of our American League coaches, whether it's Kale or Mitch or or you know even even Ryan that spent some time with him and, and you know I think Ryan really likes that you know the size and the grit and and sort of the game that he brings. But everybody that's been with us since we drafted Martin deserves a, deserves um, you know a clap here because it's been it's been a it's been a tough goal for him. But I think I think one of the big things like you know Craig told me this story in the summertime where you know he was on a flight with with Martin. Um, you know, going overseas and just just told Martin how much we believe in him. And sometimes that's all a player needs. And give Martin a lot of credit because his off season was amazing. And he came to camp ripped and ready to go. Um, I, I always share the story because it's it's you know when Martin was in in uh, the USHL, you know I went and spent a couple couple different trips there to you know get to know him and and work with his coaches and those types of things. And I know the story came out when Martin played his first NHL game. I don't know if it was after he scored his first goal or his first game. And his his landlady, his billet landlady from from uh, uh, I get Sioux City, I get Sioux City and Sioux Falls. I get mixed up, but um, she made that she sent that tweet out. And you know, I was at I was at her house with Martin, and you know those those beginnings of when he's drafted and and getting an understanding of you know the surroundings and. Who's molding him are so crucial, and I think the one thing all right from day one with Martin is trying to um, develop that game that you see now, where he is on the edge but not over the edge. Right. And, and the funniest part of that weekend was, I don't know if you guys remember this, but he had a little bit of a, a little bit of a, <laughs> uh, a t- temper tantrum in that game, and I had to run down from the stands and get behind the penalty box to make sure he didn't go into the stands that night. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, sitting in the locker room with him after, and his intensity was just so high. Like, he obviously shouldn't do that. He got, I think he ended up getting six games for it. But I knew right then that, you know, you just don't make players like this. And there, he's a bit of a throwback guy. And I think for the, you know, once he turned pro in those four or five years, I think the coaches and development team always tried to, to manage that where you could get a player with skill. I think his skill is underestimated guys. And I think we're starting to see it now. Like he's a big guy that plays hard, but he can make plays and he can move. And uh, it's just taken a little longer because of his, his injury background. Uh, but the way he plays and the mindset that he plays with, you know, it, it took a, it took four or five years for for the crew to to sort of you know to manage that, and then and then you know you know trying to get him get his body 
in a position that he could have success. And so you give our strength and conditioning people. But I think Marty deserves all the credit because he stuck with it. And I, I know there were some dark times for him, but mentally he stuck with it. And that, again, credit to, you know, everybody on the development team and the American League coaches. Ray, last one for me. I, I want to ask you about Jeremy Poirier, a young guy who hasn't played since October 21st because of a, a skate laceration that was just four games into his AHL season. How, how do you make sure that this isn't a, a quote-unquote lost season for Jeremy, how do, how do you make sure that his development doesn't stall due to that injury? Real good question, guys. And I think go back to the summertime, like he had the knee injury, right? So you have to take the positives out of that. And what Jeremy has done has been excellent. So when he hurt that knee, he spent the summer really working on his upper body. Like he couldn't, couldn't do a lot with the lower body. So he spent a lot of time and you know, Brian Erspommer with, with the with the Wranglers, he sort of led that sort of return to play medically. Uh, and a lot of that focus you know, in the gym and stuff, you know, was that upper body. And, and same situation when, when the arm, when the arm, he basically couldn't use his, his, his arm at all. So the last three months has been all, all leg related. So you've got to take, you know, those situations and find the positive. I, I think the the number one thing with Jeremy going through both these things, and I've dealt with them on different occasions on both of them, and his attitude uh, on both these situations has been amazing. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with him in the locker room today, actually. We had so we were laughing about watching him in junior, talking about his junior coach and winning the Memorial Cup and those things. But his, his overall attitude and maturity, I mean, it's, it's through the roof now. So he he's come a long way just growing up, and he's taken these these – these tough situations, like obviously this was, a, we were really excited about him this year and get, getting him on the ice, but he's put the work in. And again, that our medical staff guys, you can't say enough about what they've done with him. He's, they've done an amazing job and, and you know, our return to play guys are on it. Like all, all of our people on our staff are part of the return to play program and they all spend time with them. They all work with them. Uh, and he, but again, you got to give the credit to the player because the player has to do the work. We can, we can put a plan together and we can, we can have them uh, do what we want them to do. But if they're not engaged and they're not 100% all in on, on getting better, it doesn't work. And, and you got to give JP a lot of credit for that. I'm really excited. You know, hopefully we get him back and whatever it is in two or three weeks. And, and uh, be, it's going to be outstanding to see him play again. And I know, I know our group will be excited to have him. Final thought for you, Ray, uh, Ray Edwards, director of player development with us on this Tuesday flames talk. And, I, I just wanted to wrap up by by asking about Connor Zary because I, I don't know if any of us saw him jumping in and making the immediate impact he's made on this Flames team, but but Ray, he has. What what has allowed him to to be able to do that? What 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 steps did he take that allowed him to be the guy that he's been for the Flames at the highest level this year? I think you're. I think you're correct there. It was. It's not. It's not that we didn't uh, expect Connor to have success. I. I think we. You know. Usually it takes. You know. Go up. Go down. Go up. Go down. A couple of times. You know. And, until they figure it out and the pace and the strength and you know you got to give Connor all the credit in the world. He. You know. I've had you know many chats with him in in different situations in the American League where you know whether whether it was you know. 
how do I get a chance or what do I got to do? Those types of things. And, you know, I can remember telling him a couple of times, just you got to stay patient, stay the course, keep working. Keep, you know, usually it takes, you know, go up, go down, go up, go down a couple of times, you know, and, until they figure it out and the pace and the strength. And, you know, you got to give Connor all the credit in the world. He, you know, I've had, you know, many chats with him in, in different situations in the American League where, you know, whether whether it was, you know, how do I get a chance or what do I got to do? Those types of things. And, you know, I can remember telling him a couple of times, just you got to stay patient, stay the course, keep working, keep grinding. You know, uh, again, our American League coaches deserve a lot of credit there. Just, just you know, coaching him and, and teaching him the right way to play. Uh, Connor is highly competitive. And I think, I think over anything, that is probably what has made him successful. He, he believed in himself. He knew he could do it. And it's not that none of us thought that he could do it. I think we were shocked that he could do it so quickly right. without, going through, without going through that process of you know, going up, coming back down, understanding what he's got to do, then go back up and get another chance. And usually it does take guys two or three you know, stints to do that. But Connor was so driven to, to get that opportunity that he was not going to let it pass him by. And I think his competitiveness is the, is the number one reason. And, you know, he, you know, Connor's not running over people, but he doesn't lose many puck battles and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't lose the puck very often. And you watch a lot of his goals. A lot of his goals are within 10 feet of the net because he's willing to go in there and pay a price to do it. So, you know, got to give again, give the player all the credit in the world, but, uh, you know, I know Danielle's worked really hard with him, and you got to give her a lot of credit for the work that she's put in. But again, the American League coaches have done a great job with him in terms of getting him prepared and ready to go. Ray, it's always a pleasure having you on, man. Uh, really appreciate the time. Thank you for the insight. Uh, it's uh, it's been a really busy year for your development group. It's been a really busy year for players making debuts, and so it's been one of the underlying positive stories about the team this year. So we wanted to shed some light on the, the work that you and your development group have done. So thanks for spending some time with Wes and I today, hey? Guys, always great to talk to you, and uh, go Wranglers. Absolutely. Enjoy the game tonight, hey? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ray. Uh, Ray Edwards is the Flames Director of Player Development. He joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West. Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in-store today. As we start to wrap things up this hour, Wes Gilbertson on Twitter at Wes Gilbertson. Talk to you on Wednesday as uh, we've got two days between games for the first time in a while. Already looking forward to it, buddy. Uh, thanks to Shan, our outstanding producer, this hour as well. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.